0: Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happyhealthyyou. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Credited by most as the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates was the personification of the ideal physician. He was wise, he was caring, compassionate, and honest. And he's most remembered today for his famous oath, which set high ethical standards for the practice of medicine. His exemplary life has been a constant and enduring source of inspiration for doctors and healers through the ages. According to Hippocrates, the human body functioned as one unified organism, or physis and must be treated in health and disease as one coherent, integrated whole. For Hippocrates, medical treatment was aimed at enabling the natural resistance of the organism to prevail and overcome the disease to bring about recovery. In the treatments he prescribed, Hippocrates was very sensible. He was pragmatic and flexible in his approach, favoring conservatism and moderation over radical or extreme measures. Hippocrates was a great believer in dietary measures in the treatment of disease as well. He prescribed a very slender, light diet during the crisis stage of an acute illness and a liquid diet during treatment of fevers and wounds. His medicine was constitutionally based, so its approach to diagnosis and treatment was really flexible. As a holistic healing system, Hippocratic medicine treated the patient and not just the disease. Oh my goodness, how we have gotten away from some of these principles in our current system of healthcare. Here today to talk about bringing some of this balance back to us is Dr. Art Caparald. Hi, Dr. Art. Hi, Connie. Thanks for having me. Let me give you a little bit of an introduction. Uh, You're a doctor of chiropractic, you're a certified clinician of whole food nutrition. You have 23-plus years in the field of whole food nutrition and chronic disease. You're a national lecturer on whole food nutrition, and you've taught doctors on the use of whole food nutrition and clinical practices coast to coast. It looks like you're sort of observing a lot of Hippocrates' uh, ideas. Yes, very. it's very, very, very important. Um, we'll
1: talk about that. You know, as we get farther on in the podcast, but yes, it's it's critical to to actually obtaining health and maintaining
0: health. Yeah. Now, happy, healthy. You, the podcast is all about living a whole life in body, mind, and spirit. And I do believe we are we are whole beings. And so much of the time, we go to the doctor, we go to a, a health practitioner, and we're not getting the whole person treated as we should in order to sort of uh, make our make our system. Uh, come back into balance so that we can heal ourselves, which is what Hippocrates said. So I don't know. You say on your website, after so many years of experience, you you say that our health is affected by four basic things, structural issues, nutritional deficiencies or excesses, toxic overload, and mental emotional stressors. Can we just talk about those a little bit, each of them in detail, and maybe uh, break it down? Sure. I'd,
1: I'd, I'd be more than happy to. Um you know, one thing that I would like to touch on just prior to, to the interview, though, is that there's there, there's two things that I'd actually like to accomplish here today. The first is I really want it to be educational and informative for your all, all of your listeners. Um, but secondly, people have many, many questions regarding this. And many people want to do something, but they really don't know where to go. and. What I'd like them to do is, I'd like them to physically call me if they have questions to make okay. sure that their answers, their their questions get answered properly, as opposed to just tr- trying to go on the internet and find something where you can get 15 different answers for a specific question, and none of them may apply to you. That is so awesome. I, yeah. I, okay. So my my direct line is five five nine four seven five. And I really appreciate that because I see so much suffering out there that I want people to be able to have their questions answered because, so they can move in the direction of health.
0: Gosh, you guys, how often do we ever get that, a doctor giving us his his direct line? So I love that. Thank you for that.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So so you want to break these these four areas down?
0: Yes, I think that would be a good place okay. to start.
1: Perfect. Okay, so I am classically trained as a chiropractor. And so one of the things, uh, if you've done any research into chiropractic and how it was discovered, uh, they found that misalignments in certain parts of the spine can actually affect uh, specific organ function. And this was found in the late uh, 1800s and what happened was is They didn't have a lot of chemical processing and they didn't have a lot of toxins and and they didn't have quite as much stress as we have today. So that was a big issue with people actually be able to move forward in a state of health just by relieving structural um, nervous system impedance on on, on the spinal column. But now that we've moved into this particular modern age where there's a lot of stress, and there's a lot of nutritional deficiencies, and there's a lot of uh, toxins. Um, those things actually play. a have you know, again, I can say this as a chiropractor and not be, uh, you know, physically demeaning to the profession because the the chiropractic profession is extremely important. However. What I've found is that many of the nutritional deficiencies and the toxic overload and the mental emotional stressors can actually affect the spinal column and cause the spine to go out of adjustment. And so structural issues have to be addressed, say, if you have a spine out of place, if you pull the muscle, if you strain something, those type of structural issues have to be addressed um, either through the medical route, if, if, if there's a tear, or if there's just maybe inflammation and swelling, maybe you sprained your ankle, or maybe you're eating particular foods that are causing inflammation in that particular area, and so it's the clinician's job to be able to find out where that structural issue is occurring, and correct that problem. Um, do you want to ask questions after each section, or do you want me to just do all four of them, really? Well, I mean, I, I
0: feel like I feel like I, I will have some opportunities to interject. For example, in, with structural uh, issues, there will be some clues as to uh, each uh, particular uh, problem because there will be pain involved in a lot of situations, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, pain is, fortunately, it's a very good indicator Unfortunately, um, many of us try to cover up the pain with either anti-inflammatories or they, they try to take something to stop the pain when actually looking deeper into that situation with pain and finding out what the root cause of that is. Um, and so there's, I found that there's always a reason for everything. Mm-hmm. You just have to dig deep enough to, to look at what could be causing it. I mean, just some this is a completely random thing that I found years ago, but I had a patient once who had pain in his forearm, and it was caused because his digestive system wasn't working right. As soon as we cleaned
0: it, his, his, his gut, his pain in his arm went away. Wow.
1: And that's, so, that's so fascinating. Realize anything can cause anything.
0: Yeah, the human structure is so interwoven. <laughs> everything is so connected and, is. and affects everything else. It really is. Well, maybe you could go on to nutritional deficiencies or excesses, and and what do we know about these as as a um, a cause of disease, disease?
1: Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. So, nutritional deficiencies is um, in in my eyes the way that I see my patients and how I interact with my patients is it's usually a, a diet of progress or a diet of you know industrialization it's it's uh eating a lot of high calorie low dense uh, low nutrient foods meaning it's not a high a high dense nutrient uh meal and so yeah there there's issues with soil depletion and there's issues with the the plants not being how they were 50 years ago or 100 years ago but Regardless, if somebody's eating a diet that's very high in, um, in processed, refined foods, it's going to be a very low-nutrient um, meal that they're going to be eating. Right. And you need those nutrients to support the organs and to support the body. Each food that you eat has nutrients that feed the body in its specific needs. And so most people just eat to get full and to to feel satiated in their stomach so they're not hungry anymore. But they don't realize that they're creating nutritional deficiencies that get worse as we get older. Because each organ, I I was taught that each organ has kind of what you call a, a nutrient gas tank. And so it's able to store some some nutrients, some nutrients it's not able to store. And it doesn't necessarily store them in the organ, but the body is able to take from these storehouses and eventually they get depleted. And everybody's heard of, say a woman gets pregnant and she has a child and then she goes into a postpartum depression. That, that you know, maybe that's one of the, the main issues is that that child takes all the nutrients from that woman's diet, and therefore they become more depleted. And I've heard stories of the women becoming more depleted and more depleted after each uh, subsequent child. And so it's really critical, especially when, when women are pregnant, but it's really critical that they have a nutrient-dense diet to be able to support those organs. Now, if you go on the excess side, the only re- the only way you can have a nutritional access if it's from taking synthetic vitamins. And so most of the vitamins and supplements that people take from the average, uh, say, you're looking at a drugstore or you go to Costco or you go to any of these stores that that sell all these vitamins on the shelf, those are all man-made synthetic chemicals. They're actually not the way that uh, nature makes them in a whole food setting. And the reason that is is because man just takes the specific vitamin. So say it's, you know, I'll use vitamin A. They just take vitamin A, but they don't take all of the cofactors that occur in the food where the vitamin A normally occurs that need it to be used. And so what happens is that that supplement that they're taking can be ingested, but the body has to use all the cofactors that it has inside itself to be able to process that, and eventually it creates deficiencies in other
0: areas. That's a really good good point, Dr. Art, because I think a lot of people don't realize the difference between a synthetic vitamin and a a plant-based or a whole food type of vitamin. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, a good example is scurvy. I mean, years ago they found that if people you know if the sailors ate limes that it prevented scurvy that's why they used to call them limeys, right and so um, however you can't get rid of scurvy with with regular vitamin c you know uh, vitamins it just doesn't it, it doesn't work because it's not a whole food so you have to have the entire complex of everything that's associated with that food and it doesn't mean that you know man in in in, in our infinite wisdom always tries to oversimplify things, I think. Yeah, And true. It's much more complicated. The body's an extremely complicated thing. And a- anytime you try to micromanage it um, and simplify it into its individual parts, you know, like you were talking about in, in the introduction, um, everything in medicine is specialized. Now, the problem is, is it's an entire being. And so one thing communicates with another thing that affects another thing, and there's this cascade effect that happens. It's just you have to look at the whole person. And so, you know, uh, getting back to the the scurvy thing, you're only able to fix that by eating the whole food vitamin C that actually comes from the specific type of food that you're going to eat. And so that's the easiest way to, to recognize it. I actually have something... That I can give people if they want to call me directly, and I can get their email address, and I can send them, you know, specific things that will outline the uh, differences between those two. Well,
0: wow, that's great. That's really good information. Um, you gave a really good example of a nutritional deficiency with the uh, postpartum depression example. Uh, Is there anything else? Mm -hmm. And and scurvy, although we don't see that very often (laughs) anymore. But um, are there any other ways that uh, nutritional deficiencies manifest in in your patients that you see often?
1: Unfortunately, the list is endless. Um, (laughs) Hmm. And how I work with my patients is... I usually deal with things on a subclinical level, so meaning sometimes we'll do a blood test or the patient will have a blood test and it won't specifically show all their, their blood test normal uh, sorry, all their blood test numbers will be normal. But when you look below that, there's still sub sub some, some subclinical I'm tongue tied today, I'm very sorry
0: about that. <laughs> That's there's, a tough one, I think.
1: Some, there's subclinical manifestations of problems. So maybe there's slight symptoms that are occurring somewhere. Maybe it could be a thyroid issue. Maybe it could be an adrenal issue. Um, and what happens is it's not really evident on the medical profession's radar yet. But when you look below at some of the subtle things that can be going on with that, it shows up in that area. And so it's actually more important to address those issues before they become a full-blown problem. Yeah. But, you know, as I said, any anything can cause anything. And so um, there's always... I'm, I'm going to step out on a limb here. I've found with my patients that there's always a nutritional component involved in any health problem that they have. Now, it doesn't mean it's, it's only a health... Uh, a, a nutritional component sure. but there always is a nutritional component and so you know whether it's a heart problem or a blood sugar problem or a joint problem even you know even a weight problem um, all those things correlate with some type of a nutritional component and how I know this is because if you look at the early pioneers of, uh, of nutrition they were all dentists mm. it, yeah, in the, in the early 1900s, if you look at all the early pioneers of nutrition, they were all dentists. And what they found is that they were starting to see a dramatic shift in the amount of cavities in people's mouths. Because prior to consuming um, industrialized foods, the average number of teeth that had cavities were one in a thousand teeth. Mm. And so uh, there's a, a doctor and... His name is Doctor Price, and he actually traveled around the world looking in indigenous cultures to find out what they ate and what they did to see where their disease processes were. And he found that even in indigenous cultures that only ate food that came out of the ground, um, that they had, uh, on average, one in a thousand teeth had had a cavity.
0: Yeah. And so
1: it's it it's that shows me that nutrition is a huge part of our problem
0: it's really telling you know in our society it's all about hurry 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 and we've created this real problem with our fast food and our our microwave meals and and all of these processed foods so maybe that's a good segue into toxic overload can you talk about that (laughs) yeah
1: sure i'd be happy to so um you know everybody is always concerned about air quality, and I totally understand that, that you know, worry. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I live just below Yosemite National Park, and so our, oh. our air is pretty clean up here. Oh, you're so lucky.
0: Air... <laughs> What's that? You're so lucky.
1: Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, air, air quality is, is a big deal. However, you, you consume in, in raw poundage of food, um gosh and I I can't remember the number but it's so over the course of your lifetime it's something like 40,000 40, pounds of food or something I'm, I'm gonna guess here because I, I don't remember but you you breathe in only about 15 pounds of particles over the course of your life and so if you take into account uh, smoking if you take into account pollution if you take into account you um, you know, recreational drugs, and even though there's a lot of need for for medical drugs, they they still produce some toxic overload, and so uh, your body has to be able to detox from those things, and so that means your kidneys and your liver have to be functioning properly. So, and so make uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Connie.
0: No, I was just I was going to ask you about that, there are so many drugs on the market now that so many people are taking, for example, the statins, and do they cause, would they be one example of a drug that might cause a toxic overload? Well,
1: any, so any drug, even if it has very short-term benefit, um, is going to cause some type of stress to the body. Again, that, I I view that, I'm not anti-drug or anti-medical, I just, I just, Want to put that out there because there there is a need and a necessity for many of these things, but I believe that it's they should be used to get the body to turn the corner, so then it can start to do it on its own. Mm. I mean, I've run into patients that are on literally sixteen or seventeen medications. Yeah, um, and that is a. I've I've talked to medical doctors about this, especially patients that have congestive heart failure or. Uh, you know, chronic high blood pressure or chronic heart problems and they, they put people on these drugs and they know that eventually they're going to have some type of a kidney issue because the, the kidney is going to get worn out and broken down from taking this medication and so it's kind of like a give and take with the patient. And so by, by supporting those organs, by making sure that they're able to detox properly, and making sure that they're able to rebuild properly, it will help that patient that's actually on those medications. And so, you know, you can kind of hold, that, hold off that problem until hopefully the patient's able to take care of that specific health concern that they have and then they don't need the medication anymore. But those are things that you have to talk with your doctor about.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then the final area is mental and emotional stressors. Can you talk about that? I mean, those are huge.
1: Sure, and the the sad part is is most people just negate those, um, and it is it is a huge huge problem. Uh, there are, you know, there's many healthcare providers, especially in the type of work that that I'm doing, that are able to work with those type of things. Um, there is uh, a technique called neuroemotional technique that has done wonders for a lot of people. Um, but it's important. What I get my patients to do is just to start to create awareness. And you know, let me expand upon that. Um, people come to me and they they have a specific health concern, and they don't know what to do. And so we we find out what's going on with them specifically, and we come up with a plan to help them get to their health goals. And. Part of that plan is them creating awareness around themselves, around what they're putting in their mouth, around their bo- how their body's feeling, and what causes specific symptoms to resurface. And so say a person has, you know, one of their their mental emotional stressors um, is correlated with specific foods that they eat, because I've actually seen that happen too.
0: Give and us an so, example of that. Give us an example of of something.
1: Um, So say you wake up and everybody's woken up in the morning and felt great. Right? Yeah. And then people sometimes wake up in the morning and don't feel so good. Okay, so what if you go out one night and you... uh, have a really good time and you drink too much and you eat too much really bad food and you wake up with a hangover
0: okay
1: that that that's an extreme example of how that's going to mentally emotionally make you feel bad. now there's much more subtle degrees of that i mean even something as simple as b vitamin deficiencies can cause um specific uh symptoms that that are the same symptom as you know depression and anxiety And there's actually a book that I'd like to recommend that if people are really interested in mental emotional stressors and how people behave and their their food and diet, there's a book called Food and Behavior and it's written by a woman called Barbara Reed Stitt. And I I read it once and I just got a new copy and you can get it from the International Foundation for Nutrition and Health. And this woman was a, uh, she was a probation officer. And she started noticing that uh, the people that would fall into the pattern of going back into the system again had really bad diets. And when she was able to help change their diet, she was actually able to get them out of the system and onto a normal life again. And so, um, mental emotional stressors are, you know, unfortunately, I hate to be so vague, but it can be anything. Yeah. And so uh you know you know again back to if i can help the patient create awareness around what's going on then they can see okay so all of a sudden i'm not feeling too good or i'm feeling stressed or i'm feeling anxious and they can look back to maybe something that they ate or something that they did or some causative factor that was able to precipitate that specific problem. You know, as I said before, anything can cause anything. And so you have to become aware enough to know, well, how is this? I mean, I know if I eat wheat products, I have a specific um, sensation that I get in my body that shows up as emotional stress. And it's not really heavy. It's it's mostly a light, almost a light anxiety that I can feel tension in my body just if I eat too much wheat product.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. how how do you start? Do you have any suggestions for us that we could start maybe today creating that kind of awareness? Because I think that's... That's unusual in our culture to have that kind of body awareness or mental, emotional awareness to be able to detect subtle differences that happen when we say when we eat something or when, you know, something is changing in our body. Is there is there a way that we can start?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, The best thing is, okay. so there's a two prong approach here. First, it, it can be done by yourself. But it's much more complicated. And so what I recommend that people do is keep what I call a diet diary. Write down every single thing that they put in their mouth as far as food. Um, Food and drink and, you know, even medications and supplements and things like that. Um, And then keep track on the other side of the page certain either emotional stressors or mental uh, sensations or pain syndromes or anything that's actually coming up and see if you can start to see a pattern. Now, you know, again, you have to look at maybe the person's eating the correct foods that say the food pyramid says, but maybe it's not specifically what you need. And so that's part of my job is being somebody's doc is I'm actually a, a detective and I help find out with which foods are causing the, the main problems so we can eliminate them um, one of the biggest things that people can do right off the bat though is just stop eating sugar and, mm-hmm. and, and sugar substitutes um, that in itself is gonna play a big part in in mental emotional state I mean Everybody's seeing a child when they get into a bunch of sugar and they get a really big high and then they get a really big low at, afterwards. Um, that is that's indicative of uh, you know of adult behavior too.
0: It's <laughs> totally, just that yeah. it's, it's it's more subtle, and so
1: learning how those specific foods are, are going to be able to do that is you know is actually the first step. Then it goes deeper than that. Then you have to see, are they digesting the food that they're eating properly? Um, is their liver able to clean up everything after they've they processed all this food? I mean, there's many, many factors of it, but the biggest thing is just having awareness around the putting in their mouth. And yeah. Is it okay if I give a small, you
0: know, a small example of this? I would love an example. That would be great. Thanks. Okay. So,
1: I've you know, again, I've been doing this work for 23 years, and my wife and I, before we were married, her family had a restaurant. And so we would go to the restaurant and, you know, she knew how I was eating and how she ate. And we would go to the restaurant and we'd sit down and they would bring a a big basket of bread. And the first thing everybody does is grab, my wife included. And she, she doesn't eat those foods very much, but it's a habit. And so because they bring the bread everybody grabs it and so you have to break those habits that you're so conditioned to always do. Um, Many people also think that food takes a long time to prepare and most of the meals that we cook are half hour to 45 minutes. Um, I mean rarely do they take an hour and so it, it doesn't take a lot of time to sit down and and produce a meal on a daily basis for dinner, um, even though we don't have a lot of time, because the benefits are far going to outweigh the little amount of time you have to put into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think creating that yeah. awareness of, yeah. of everything, at being more mindful about what we put into our mouth, s- starts sort of yeah. a chain reaction. And when we go to the restaurant, we might not be so quick to reach into that bread. I, I'm guilty of that too, I love some. sometimes bread is so delicious it's just, it's awesome But sure. I also can't sure. tell you how many people have been on this podcast and how many people have said over and over again we hear, stop eating sugar and um, when is that going to happen?
1: <laughs> well, it's, unfortunately it's never going to happen because, I mean the best thing that, that, that somebody could do is maybe use raw sugar, you know, they they have that, that brownish raw sugar as long as it's not a lot. Um, I mean yeah. one of the things that I, I donate my time to the IFNH um, on a, they have a weekly uh, a webinar to teach doctors and once a month I, I donate my time for this and they, uh, they say that one tea, uh, sorry one tablespoon of sugar disrupts your body chemistry for up to uh, 48 to 72 hours
0: yeah that's crazy. So,
1: <laughs> so if you're having at least one tablespoon of sugar every day, your your body chemistry can never get right. yeah, and so that's why you know we end up having all these chronic health problems because people aren't willing to stop the short term issue for the long term benefit.
0: yeah,
1: it's really important,
0: yeah. So that's one great step we could all take today is just give up sugar. I give it up for Len every year but then I go back to it. So I need, to, I need right. to revisit that. So I wanted to pick your brain about one more subject that's so important to so many people. And there is a chronic obesity issue in this country. And you are really good at healthy weight loss. And you, you have some ideas for how to, how to get there and how to keep that weight off. Can you just touch on that, how you work with patients to help them with this issue?
1: Sure. Uh, one of the big, you know things is again they have to be able to change their diet and unfortunately many people can't do this on their own uh there's there a lot of people need uh, you know kind of an advocate in their corner to help them with this and so because how many people have sugar cravings mm-hmm.
0: a lot a of people a
1: have lot sugar of us. Cravings. there's actually specific reasons as to why those things occur um i've had patients sugar cravings to here, as short as maybe four or five days and as long as a year and a half. Um, and so it, it, takes, it takes specific things to be able to reintroduce into the patient's diet so they don't have those sugar cravings. Because many, many times, you know, say somebody gives up sugar and then they get these really low lows where they, they aren't feeling satiated anymore with their, their meals um and so adding in good fats and oils helps to kind of balance that out and you know butter has been touted years ago as a bad thing and butter's been around for thousands and thousands of years and so uh butter's a really really good food for you and so
0: thank you thank you so so much for saying that (laughs) i appreciate that because i am a butter lover <laughs> in yeah, fact, no, yeah, there was a story when I was a little kid. I guess my parents took me to a restaurant when I was like four or five. I don't really remember this, but they said they served margarine, and I was such a butter lover that I was like, "This is yeah. not butter!" And I was really a rude little little kid. So I have always been a butter lover. So thank you. I'm so sure. glad to hear that. That's awesome. But
1: no, I mean, I I, I have a friend in in, in this business that. He, he. you know, he always says that the only purpose of bread is to be a vehicle for butter. <laughs> um,
0: of, of course, in moderation. Know. Everything in moderation, yeah. we are saying. But so, um, and, you know, so,
1: you know, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to get sidetracked. There, yeah, but, me, so, yeah, sorry, it, I took it, you it, there. It's important that the big things they can, the, the biggest thing they have to do is they have to stabilize their blood sugar. Because what happens is say they have a really sugary breakfast and then they get a sugar high and then their sugar comes down again and then they start to have some type of uh, sugar craving again mid-morning and they have a snack that's sugary and they bring that up, the sugar up again and then it drops down at lunch and and they eat again at lunch and then they have that low about mid-afternoon where they need sugar and coffee or You know, some type of pastry or something to get them going again and so every time they spike their blood sugar what that does is the body can only use so much of that at one time and so it stores the rest as fat and so each time you spike your blood sugar you're going to store fat and you're going to perpetuate a problem because that blood sugar issue continues to perpetuate and so by reducing the sugar and creating infusing it with good protein, good vegetables, good fats, Um, it creates what I call a long, slow-burning curve on your blood sugar, and so you eat breakfast, and you're not hungry again until lunch, and then you eat lunch, and you're not hungry again until dinner. those are the biggest things that people can do. Now, you, again, you have to make sure that you're eating the foods that are specifically good for you because you and your neighbor aren't going to be the same. Um, you also have to make sure you're, that you're digesting the foods that you're taking in. Uh, there's many, many components of, of getting a person on the road to health, but aside from the weight, sorry, excuse me, aside from um, the consumption of the food that they're eating they don't want to lose weight for the sake of weight and many people just look at the scale am i correct on that
0: oh totally yes i agree so
1: what happens is when people go on a calorie reduced diet they're going to lose pounds but they're also going to lose muscle mass and so every time you go on a diet and you lose weight and you lose muscle mass They eventually gain the weight back, but they haven't gained muscle mass back, so they've only gained fat. So their muscle mass gets lower and lower and lower, which means they they burn fewer and fewer and fewer calories. And so making sure that the patient is exercising the way that they need to to maintain some of that muscle mass so they can maintain that metabolism is going to be very important for long-term success of healthy weight loss.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's a process, and, and we have to be patient and compassionate with ourselves, and and also get Absolutely. get some of those mental and emo- emotional stressors that you talked about earlier in check so that we can have a smooth, I, I would imagine working with you is a very smooth process.
1: Yes, I, I try to make it as smooth and as pain-free as possible. Um, can I share, you know, something that, you know, you, you triggered something okay. when you stated that, and... Most people uh, don't have a lot of fun in their life right now, right? I mean, they're too busy working, they're too busy doing all the things they have to do. And so even just taking 15 or 20 minutes a day for something that you like to do um, will will be a huge stress reliever for you. Mm. On top of that, most people hate to go to the gym. But they're okay going for a walk in a park or walk around the block or maybe on a bike ride. And so make exercise a fun thing. Don't make it this painful thing that you don't want to do because then it won't get done. Um, You know, I I appreciate that you're all, you know, that, that you're about creating happiness because happiness in people's lives is critical for them to move forward in every aspect.
0: Yeah, and and those endorphins that we create when we exercise only add to that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you have a quote on your website. It says, "My clinical experience has taught me that no matter what the illness, there is always hope and possibility that people can overcome it. I've seen too many miracles happen. This I've seen too many miracles happen in my practice, not to believe this. So, <laughs> yeah. I think that that's that's very hopeful and. Uh, If somebody is interested in talking with you, you so generously gave your phone number earlier in the podcast, or going to your website, give us all your contact information again.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So my my phone number is 559-475-8611, and my uh, website is www.conceptsforhealth.com. .com. Do I need to spell that out, or is it pretty self-explanatory? I think
0: that's pretty pretty easy to figure out. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you know, again, the best way to get your questions answered, because people always have questions, is to call me directly. And if for some reason I don't answer, if, if I'm with another patient on the phone, um, just leave a message in your phone number, and I'm more than happy to call you back and, and, and discuss your specific issue.
0: So amazing! I can't help but feel that Hippocrates is just smiling right now from from heaven. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think you're 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 living his his uh, vision for medicine. Really, I mean, this this seems to be what the original intent for uh, c- treating the whole patient was. So so thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. And um, I look forward to having you back on the podcast and talk about something else.
1: Thank you, you, Tony. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Red Revive for giving me the stamina to run not 3, but 4.34 miles this morning. But who's counting? Thank you, Red Revive, for helping me recover quickly from a 7-hour yoga teacher training class that had me twisting and turning in new and highly unusual ways. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Bowman from Happy Healthy You. Red Revive is the new sponsor of our Happy Healthy You podcast, and I'm so excited to say that I'm a believer. Finally, there's an easy, healthy way to get all of the energy I need and a lot of other great stuff, too, that I always intend to work into my diet but don't seem to be able to on a regular basis. Great stuff like beets and turmeric, and it's all plant-based and organic. Just click the link in the show notes to get 30% off Red Revive. Revive and enhance your energy today.